I ended up getting in trouble for it, but I piled like, I had like six kids in the back seat. I had uh, two in the front with me. So like, you know, there's one just sitting on the center console, one in the, in the passenger seat, six in the back. And we just start fanging around the school because the school was quite big. And yeah. so we started, so like, oh, Mr. I like, do, do some skids, do some skids. <laughs> so, all right, so there's a big dirt patch at the back of the school. So we're just we're fanging around doing doughies. And, um, and these kids like hanging out the windows and stuff. But yeah, and, like they were just so excited. Like they just had the best time. Yeah. Welcome to the Little Picture Podcast. It's great to have you along. Can I start by asking, actually, I've, I've got to admit, I've completely forgotten, Eli, what is that short for? Because it's not Elijah. No. It's, it's not Elisha. No, it's, it's not uh, Elizabeth. El- <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, it's not Elizabeth. It's short for Elias. Can you tell us, yeah, a little bit about your childhood? I don't have much negative to say about it my childhood i grew up with with two older brothers we grew up in a christian home and so we we grew up going to church and my childhood really and and in hindsight it's a wonderful thing is was a, a quite amazing childhood we grew up we didn't really have have a lot of money we didn't really have have much but we we never went without and so it was just a really enjoyable time i've got a lot of, a lot of fond memories uh of my childhood and there's not not much negative that i can say about it which i think is is a testament to my mum and dad Mum and dad were were quite amazing parents and you know i saw i just assumed it was normal that you have two parents who love each other and who Mm. love love their kids and as i as i grew older i sort of look back and actually go how blessed i was and how blessed me and my brothers were like we never saw mum and dad argue we never saw mum and dad fight i never saw it and then looking back now that i'm older and married i I go they absolutely had to have fought and they would have had to have argued but We just never saw it, um, yeah. and so we just always knew that there was a house full of love, and it was a house that, you know, we, we were completely and utterly safe in. Um, and I think that, in itself, is is becoming more and more rare. The fact that mum and dad just loved each other, yeah. like, and it was always so evident. Dad just loved mum. He he was the he was the protector. He was the provider. He was that sort of yeah, exactly what you would you would want in a father figure. And so for me, I I really want to model my fatherhood and my my husbandship off my dad yeah uh, because i just think the way that he he cared for mum but then he cared for us boys and yeah was was quite incredible the other thing i think was was quite amazing coming more probably more from mum was that we were never we were never made to feel like oh you know like boys don't cry or, or you know you just got to be a man about it and things yeah. like that like uh, mum was mum's quite <laughs> I was pretty emotional, um, mm. and so. But Mum always encouraged that from us, you know. So if we if we cried about things or we, you know, we were feeling worried or anxious or anything like that, yeah. we were made to feel that's okay and we can yeah. express that. Tell us about where you and God were at as you, when you were a child. Yeah, we, as I say, we grew up in a Christian home, and so we we went to church every every single week. And Mum and Dad were heavily involved. They had, you know, they they ran Bible studies, and so there's always people coming around to our house and. Mum always had worship music and things on. So for us, God was just, he's always just been there. He's always just been part of our life. And mum mum and dad were very open. They they prayed with us every night and they were very open about talking about God. And um, like the, even even little things, like they just never use the word, oh, you know, we're so lucky. Like it's always, mm. we're so blessed. Yeah. You know, oh, like 
God, as I say, God was just always there. Um, and so being a kid growing up in Sunday school and growing up in an environment like that, like, yeah, I just sort of naturally loved God and, and saw him as that, um, you know, ultimate father figure. You know, if we ever, if I was ever worried, like I, you know, I was a bit of a, a bit of a sooky little kid, you know, I always would, you know, you're, get, still, get you're a, often crying at work. Often, <laughs> exactly right. Often come, come running to you. Um, but it's okay to show your emotions. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. it. Um, like, you know, even little stuff like that, you know, if I was afraid of the dark or, um, you know, was concerned, you know, worried about different things, mm. like mum and dad will make an effort that we'd, we'd pray about it. Yeah. Um, so God for me was just this protector, this sort of almighty being that, um, you know, was was just watching over us um, in a really loving and, and caring mm. way. And I think, again, like, you know, I spoke a bit about it and I'll, I'll speak about it for the rest of my life. But, you know, I think that as well comes back to the father, like dad mm. and how he modeled mm. a father to us um and so to me you know i hear that god's a father immediately i look at my dad and i go well he's this loving beautiful person and i go well that's god yeah even just the little things of mum and dad modeling what a parent is you know then we hear that god's the father i just go Mm. there's there's an example of it during your teenage years it seemed like god fell away from the picture it was there a moment where something sort of happened or was it a gradual Thing. No, I think it was a gradual thing. Yeah. Um, you know, most most teenagers, I think, hit that sort of age where they they need to start figuring things out for themselves. And I went to church as a child because that's what mum and dad did. Um, and so I got to that age, you know, probably around fourteen or fifteen, where I needed to. I started sort of thinking, well, why why do we do it? And for me, I just. I found church, at that age particularly, I found church really boring. I didn't enjoy going. Like, I was no longer part of Sunday school, so, you know, mm. which is the fun stuff. Yeah. I'm now sitting in church. Yeah, and I, I found it really, really boring. I started to, you know, I start, started to notice girls and things like mm. that. And um, so, for me, that was sort of became a, um, yeah, a bit of a distraction, I guess. Mm. Like, I was never, you know, I never resented the church or anything like that. I was more just bored of it and it didn't mm. it didn't excite me yeah um and it didn't and because it didn't excite me it didn't interest me i'd go every every now and then just because you know it'd make mum happy and mm. you know she wouldn't say anything if i just kept going to church but that was that was about it i didn't didn't live the lifestyle yeah. didn't didn't you know spend time with god didn't think about god i just you know just go to church on a sunday and 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 that was it and so you know throughout the week i was a completely different person and i think as well i I became this this person. I wanted to just please everyone. So you know, I'd go to church and I could I could say the right things. I could do the right things. And then you know, I'd go to school and I was a different person to my mates. And then you know, I'd go play footy and I was a different person again. Um, and so I think I just I developed all these sort of different faces, and I mm. could just I just sort of mimic whatever mm. I whatever I needed to be um, for that particular moment. So um, you know, blokes blokes at footy wouldn't know that i'll go to church um because i wouldn't mm. tell them blokes at work wouldn't know um you know guys at school knew that i didn't really care about it um so yeah i just sort of gradually started to to fall away and you know that was probably as i say about 14 15 and it wasn't yeah. until i hit late high school i think it was late year 12 before i actually i guess woke up to myself a little yeah. bit and, and you know need to make a decision so about what it. what happened there or what brought that about so i was school captain i went to the to the Christian school here in Dubbo, you know, obviously to, to be school captain in the Christian school, you gotta you gotta be a Christian and you gotta be open about your faith. Um, and once again, you know, I went into the interview to interview for captain, and you know, I could say the right things. And mm. I actually remember it was it was one one Monday there was a party on the on the weekend, and you know, I went and 
you know, did 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 the usual thing, you know, hung out with my mates and just, you know, was the tried to be the life of the party yeah. and said what I needed to say. And um, yeah, it was after the weekend and there was there was a bit of drinking and stuff that went on at the party. And we came back to school on the Monday and word had got out that there was a number of prefects who had been at the party drinking and so i got asked by some of the teachers um you know as school captain if i could get up and and just have a chat with the prefects about you know how this is not on and this is not acceptable you know little did they know i was doing it too um and so i i got up and and you know in front of all these prefects who knew i was right alongside them and basically had to tell them hey guys this is not on you can't be doing this you know and and like looking back i'm like what an idiot like why like why, yeah. like, there were, and there was no teachers involved in our yeah. meeting so I could have totally just bluffed it but I was like yeah. no nah, I'll get up and I'll, so I told him <laughs> um, and there was a few people who weren't happy with me and it's one girl in particular <laughs> she was a good friend of mine and she actually handed in a badge she said no nah, I don't want to be a prefect anymore and then she came to me and she actually said to me she goes she goes, if they knew who you were they, she said you yeah. wouldn't be captain here and like I oh, just at the time I was so angry I was yeah. like how dare you I was like who do yeah, you think you are yeah. and yeah, it took me a few days before I realized I was actually like, you know what, she's right. And it's funny, I actually, I remember I had a conversation with her not even that long ago about it. I was like, do you remember saying this to me? She goes, what? No. She's like, I'm so sorry. She's like, what a horrible person I am for saying that. And I was like, no, 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 it's a good thing because that was probably the first real eye opener because she was a person yeah. who who had seen both sides. And um, and I was like, yeah, well, you're right. Like, I'm living I'm living two lives here. And, and not that necessarily it was because, you know, I wanted desperately to hold on to the captainship of the school you know um it was more just that was the moment i realized that actually yeah you you live in a few different lives here you gotta you gotta pick a lane um you know and if that lane's i sort of made my mind up that you know if that lane was christianity great if that lane wasn't no worries mm. but make a call mate like be a man be yeah. a man enough to, to make a statement for your life and it just so happened that that only i think it might only be a few weeks later a month or so later um, mum and dad had bought me and my two brothers um, tickets to Hillsong Conference mm-hmm. that year. Um, so we went up to Hillsong Conference, and I, you know, it was I think it was the second last night. One of the they the preacher was was talking, and he had an altar call at the end. And he said, you know, if anyone wants to commit their life to God, you know, raise your hand. That that old story. And yeah, I just felt a real, real strong conviction. It was it was one of the first times that God had ever actually spoken to mm-hmm. me. Like I felt Him speak to me. Mm-hmm. And he, he basically just said, look, I've got, I've got plans for your life, but you need to get in my lane. And it was a real, real kick in the guts for mm. me. And I just, I just immediately, like, I just, I raised my hand and essentially, I guess I recommitted my life to God. And yeah, like, you know, you, you know, it's, it's not always smooth sailing, but that was sort of the, the start of me actually getting back on track with, with God and, and really, you know, for lack of a better term, I haven't really looked back since. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you're constantly working in your relationship with God, but that was the that was the turn. Yeah, that was when yeah. I made that call. How did you meet your wife, uh, Magella? Did I say that correctly? Yes, Magella. Yes. She moved to Dubbo in 2015. So she got she was from Brisbane. Well, she was from Kingaroy in Queensland, and she did uni in Brisbane. And then so she got a job straight out of uni out here in Dubbo. You know, just one of those one-year contracts come out do your time out in bush and then um you know see where you go and so she came out here on a one-year contract and i actually wasn't here when she when she first got to dubbo she met my like a couple of my best friends at, at church and i remember getting a call from my best mate's wife and she's like she's like you have to come back you have to meet this girl <laughs> like magella like you, you're gonna marry her like she's the best 
And like at this time, I was actually dating another girl, yeah, and I was like, yeah. I was like, hey, you can't. Like, <laughs> you realize, like, I'm with, like, you can't do this to me. Anyway, so long, long story short, she she became really, really good friends with my best mate's wife. And so what ended up happening was, if I went into their house to hang out with him, she'd be there too. So we just kind of started hanging out by default. And yeah, we just became, we actually became really, really good friends yeah. first, not really thinking about dating, you know. And then one thing leads to the other, and you start going, oh, she's not half bad yeah um and now she's pregnant yeah exactly yeah. right you know you know what it's like <laughs> exactly right so yeah so that was uh yeah we we met through church and and yeah we we became really good friends yeah. first and i think that that that's a pretty special thing when you can become really good friends with your with your future spouse first before you and magella uh decided to have children you spent a year in alice springs can you tell us a little bit about your time there particularly the school that you worked at can you share a little bit about that yeah yeah um so we went to alice for what was um just going to be 12 months couldn't tell you why we chose alice we just think it started as a joke and then we started planning and before we knew it we left yeah so we we went up there um purely for the experience we just wanted something different we knew that we wanted to have kids we we knew that we wanted to have kids back here in dubbo but particularly for me like you know i grew up in dubbo um you know spent a little bit of time over in canada but that's that's the only time i spent away from here so i was pretty keen to go somewhere different mm. yeah so so we went to alice and i i worked at um at a school called urara college which was an uh, aboriginal boarding school just outside of alice springs and that was purely aboriginal community kids that came to that school so no local kids were able to come so there was kids uh, as far as far away as you know the, the Tiwi Islands up top of the Northern Territory um, you know so we had a few kids from South Australia and then we just had kids from all over the Territory mm-hmm. some would have to come on by car some would come yeah. by bus some would come by so plane was it, a, was it a public school or? so it's it's government funded but yeah. it's run by the lutheran church okay so it was originally when it started it was a government school and then the government was going to close it and the lutheran church picked it up so yeah still government funded but the lutheran church mm. runs it yeah so we had a whole range of kids that came there and it was a really really cool experience it mm. was it was so different and and so diverse none of the kids spoke english as a first language like it's mm. all they all speak their their native languages and there's obviously thousands of languages across australia and so at the school we had mm. hundreds of different languages that were spoken english was often you know second third fourth fifth language for these kids so even that, I was teaching a year seven, eight class. They were my homeroom class. And we were teaching them, you know, level level three, level four maths, you know, same with English, level three, level four English. And that was a top class. And it's just because these kids, they just missed out on so much school. Back on community, they, you know, they, they would go to school when they wanted to. The average was, so if a kid goes to school 200 days a year, and, you know, by the time they hit, hit year seven, they're supposed to have gone to school about 1200 days i think 1200 days of school is the average these kids on average were had attended 100 days of school Mm. um, by the time they hit year seven so yeah just really really far behind and quite low literacy and numeracy so even that for me was it was a challenge you know Mm. being i prefer high school um, i prefer that sort of level of teaching so even that i had to completely changed i thought i was going to a high school and it was it was purely seven to twelve but you're you're essentially teaching primary yeah. primary kids my class had 10 or oh, between sort of 10 and 20 kids i think the most actually the most i had was maybe 17 or 18 kids in at one stage but yeah like just quite full-on quite um in what way uh like behaviorally they yeah. um 
you know, obviously they've been going to a hundred days worth of school. You don't you don't get those structures. I was pretty used to, and most schools around here, they kids just get it. You come to school, you yeah. go to class, you know, you got your stuff. And the, these kids just didn't. So to be able to expect them to sit still for six hours and actually do their work was nothing. So I was insane. So I would, my general rule was I would go, look, we do we do 10 or 15 minutes of good work, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then we'd, we'd watch a video. We'd go out for play mm. sport for 40 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so sort of, you know, 15 on, 40 yeah. off sort of thing. Uh, but that was the only that's way. That's about could... my limit as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And that's the only way you could do it. Yeah. Um, like I had a full-time aide in my class and she was amazing. Like she was so good. But we just had to, you know, two two teachers to roughly 10 kids. Mm. And I think that the tricky thing was I, across the four terms, I had, oh, I didn't have any student come to all four terms of school. Mm. Um, I think the I think I had three students who came for three terms and that's it. Because obviously they come... They come to school for the term and then they go they go back home for the holidays um, and it's just always a gamble who you're going to get back. I remember when I first got there, we had a had a week of, of professional development before the kids arrived and I got there and you know first couple of days like I hadn't seen any class list or anything and so I went to my boss and I said like when am I going to get like a class list or something? She just laughed at me. She said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, how do I know who's in my class?" She said, "Oh, we'll just see who turns up." I was like, well, like, do I know how many? She goes, oh, no. I can give you the list from last year. So she gave me the list from last year. I think I got one student that had come last wow. year. So you just you just don't know. The kids, mm-hmm. some kids don't know. I had, I had a set of twins in my class at one stage. They went uh, they went to visit their auntie for the weekend mm-hmm. and I never saw them again. They go and then, then they don't come back. And I think mm-hmm. some students, you know, came from parents and, and families who, who value that education and saw the, ne- the need for it. And so they would push them to come. Um, and then there was other families who just didn't care didn't necessarily see mm. the need for it and i think i think it's hard for these kids because they you know they grow up on community and they're doing quite traditional things still speaking their native language they're they're living with those family ties and, and, and within that kinship and so you know you don't want them to lose that but at the same time we're living in a westernized mm. world and, and that's the reality you know whether you agree with it or not yeah. that's the reality of the situation and so you know, these kids need education. They need the literacy and numeracy skills. Mm. They need to be able to get a job and, and that sort of thing. And as I say, regardless of where you stand, you know, politically in mm. it or, or anything like that or belief system, that's just a reality. And so you need that. And so these kids, I, I think it, it's hard for them because they go home and there's not always that value of, of Western or white education. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they get they just go to the wayside. My thing that I noticed particularly at the the school and it's not not an, an attack at the school it's it's it's, it's an observation of, of a idea the the term that a lot of people use where oh, the, these kids live in two different worlds they live in two different worlds and, and i didn't like that i sort of went but they don't live in two different worlds they live in the same world and we live in the same sort of world they live out in community and we live out in, this, in alice or anything like that but it's still the same place it's still the same world and it's still the same opportunities for mm. everyone and i think the more we kept telling these kids you know we live in two different worlds it seemed like it was that was actually furthering that gap because oh well i can't have what you have because that's a different world to me mm. you're different to me you live different to me so i can never have that and i, I just I, I didn't like that i, I kept telling the kids look you, you can have this you know if you want to go be a scientist go be a scientist if you want to be an astronaut or a pilot go do that i mean i had i did an activity in my class early on and i said you know draw a picture of where you want to be you know when you're older like mm. what's your what's your ideal you could do anything about what's your ideal and i had one kid who you know he drew a plane because he wanted to be a pilot i was mm. like that's great mate like let's 
you should work to that you know and and realistically he might not ever get there but you know he could he could go work at an airport he could mm. he could work towards that and you know be be a part of that world and then i had another girl who all she wanted to do was she wanted to work at woolies in Catherine. that was her ultimate goal and to me I, I went that's great like we can get you to woolies in Catherine. like we can get you to work there but i was like what's 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 happened in her life that for her ultimate dream mm. the absolute best thing that she could think mm. of in the entire world is for her to be be a checkout chick at Catherine. and you know nothing against checkout chicks but i go as a kid surely you've got to have these dreams of what you can aspire to and that sort of thing i just think is a real example of this idea of two different worlds you know the best i can get is i can work on the checkout that's the absolute mm. best thing i can ever do and so yeah i think it's just got to be this this recognition that you know just because of where you live or your skin color or what you do doesn't mean that you're living in a different world Mm. we're living in the same world Um, i may never understand where they come from a hundred percent of our kids come from trauma that was Mm. the statistic we got told a hundred percent of our kids at, at the school last year come from trauma and so i'll never understand that you know i just talked about my upbringing before i'll never get it yeah but it doesn't mean we live in different worlds it doesn't mean the opportunities for me are different to the opportunities for them and the fact that we live in australia with things like centrelink public education help going to uni the opportunities are there for everyone it's mm-hmm. just whether or not they're actually told about it whether mm-hmm. there's the information going out you know and whether there's that ability for those kids to go well actually you, you can come and you can yeah. you know you can go to uni you can go to go to public school and, and, and get that education and i think the more we tell them there's two different worlds, the more there's this, there is that separation. We need to be able to go, well, actually, and as I said before, we're living in a westernized world, whether you like it or not, and, you know, as unfortunate as it may be for some people, that's the world we live in. So we need to actually be realistic about this and go, well, we need to we need to have some sort of, as you say, like, you know, um, reconciliation there and go, well, let's move forward as a country rather than looking in the past and going... All that stuff, all that stuff was terrible. And what happened, you know, in the early days of Australia, absolutely horrible, mm. should never have happened. Unfortunately, it has. So rather than looking back at it and going, how terrible was that? We can look forward and go, well, how much better can we be now? Mm. And what can we do mm. to be better? Mm. That's, yeah. I don't know. I did, I did this one day at, at school last year and I um, I was I was on duty um, out the out in the playground and these kids all were running around the back of the toilets and like notorious like the school just the kids were smoking all the time like they just yeah. find butts everywhere and so all these kids are running around the back of the toilet and i thought oh they're out the back smoking again so i wander around there and thinking i'd see a big group of them you know huddled around one cigarette and they're all out the bed and they're kicking up dust and they're just like running around in this circle i was like what are you doing and they're like oh mister it's a goanna it's a goanna I said, oh, I said, well, leave it alone. And this one kid looks at me, he goes, like, looks at me with this just, like, dumbfounded look on his face. He's like, nah, mister, it's lunch. You guys are mad. Like, this is insane. <laughs> that sort of stuff, they just, they just did that stuff. They were, yeah. the mo- they were the best kids. That was so funny. And they just would do that sort of stuff all the time. Like, one morning, they'd do footy training before school. One morning, it was freezing. And they just lit a fire, like, on the side of the oval. <laughs> Like they just light a fire. And I'm like, here, here in Dubbo, you know, any school, a kid lights a fire and they're in trouble. Like they're in some serious trouble, potentially, you know, going home, that sort of thing. But they just lit a fire because they were cold. So they're all sitting there, you know, just warming themselves up. And I just, oh, just so funny, hey. Like they just, they just loved it. The kids would come to school and they, they'd, they'd be so excited to see you. And 
the the funniest thing I had this one girl who she punched she punched the teacher in the face, um, which is not good, but it's a little funny. <laughs> <laughs> but like she, so she punched the teacher, and so hitting hitting a staff member, instant instant expulsion, yeah. like you're done. And so she got sent home. She was way up in the top end, um, and she was just the most beautiful girl. Like she, and she would never. She was never angry, like or or fiery towards me. I think she just she just snapped um, mm. this one day, and she just turned around and hit this teacher. So Magella and I, we were on a camping trip. We were going up the top end, doing some camping and traveling around right near her her yep. community, um, up in Arnhem Land. And so I said, "Hey, let's just like it was. I oh know it was a hundred k's away. So let's just duck over and we'll just go yep. see her." Um, so so we go over to her community, and again, like here, here in New South Wales, like it's a bit weird, like a teacher just. Yeah, I'm just going to go around and see one of my yeah. female students. Yeah, yeah. But up there, like it's just yeah. totally normal. So we rock up to the community, and there's probably, I think it was one of the bigger ones. So it was, um, it, it's called Nooka up in Arnhem Land. Yeah, it was one of the bigger communities. And so we went to the the general store and said, you know, I'm looking for this student. Oh yeah, she lives. Yeah, she might live over there. So so we we went over to that house and knocked on the door. I'm looking for the, for this kid. Oh no, yeah, she sleeps here sometimes, but she's she might be over in that person. So we're driving around the community and and had like you know four or five people like you know we'd drive past and they'd wave us down and be like over there. So we drive around and we finally find a house and we go knock on the door and um and her mum answers the door and I said oh is she here like I'm a teacher yeah. you know I just thought I'd come and just come and say good day. She goes oh yeah and she calls her out and she comes around this corner and just like the look on this girl's face like she was just dumbfounded that I was there and she was. Well, like she just couldn't believe it and so she yeah. comes out and like she give me a hug and she's like what are you doing like um and i said I'm, I'm just here to see you and see your community and she just was so excited yeah, wow. and so she got in the car with us and, and like you know so oh, i'll show you around so she gets <laughs> in our car and um so she's pointing out different things and we're going in different places and you know randomly she just oh stop 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 and so we'd wind down the window for her and she'd talk to someone that like in the community she goes oh this this is my teacher this is my teacher like she's just so proud like to, to not the one it. I punched yeah, yeah exactly right yeah that's it <laughs> so like yeah that sort of stuff was just yeah it's such a such an amazing yeah. feeling and such a such a really cool thing that you know for, for this girl you know she lived way up in Arnhem Land like thousands of kilometers from, from Alice and yeah like we went up there to see her and she just was so excited that's for those for those kids they just love it like someone's caring yeah wonderful. Um, someone's Someone wants to wants to see them, and yeah. we ran electives. So at the school, every every afternoon, I mean, you could run whatever you wanted. You just had to get it approved. And so I ran a mechanic one. So we just get all these old cars and we just fix them up, like we yeah, like so we got we got old mowers and we got them like right on mowers yeah. and we got them started and stuff. And we had this one car that just would not go, like just we could not get it started. And so we cleaned it all up and. It wouldn't start, wouldn't start. And then we, one one afternoon, you know, we, we finally, we jimmied a few things and we, we got it going. And I had a group of, it was probably about seven um, senior boys, so year 10 through to 12. And like just the look on their face, like they started up yeah. and they were so excited. Like they were just cheering, and yeah, like, yeah, yeah high-fiving yeah. each other. Like, how good is this? And like, you know, this, because obviously sometimes to get old carburetor run cars started you, you squirt a bit of fuel in the in the carby and it just um and so like they were doing that and they had squirt fuel in it and you know fuel would spurt out sometimes and they thought it was hilarious and then, <laughs> and then we, we, we so we all yeah that's great let's take it for a drive let's take it for a drive so we all pile in and 
I ended up getting in trouble for it, but I piled like, I had like six kids in the back seat. I had uh, two in the front with me. So like, you know, there's one just sitting on the center console, one in the, in the passenger seat, six in the back. And we just start fanging around the school because the school was quite big. And so yeah. we started, so like, oh, I missed that. Like, do, do some skids, do some skids. <laughs> so, all right, so there's a big dirt patch at the back of the school. So we're just we're fanging around doing doughies. And, um, and these kids like hanging out the windows and stuff. But yeah, and, like they were just so excited. Like they just had the best time. Yeah. And we, we come back, we ended up blowing the head gas in the car. Like, we totally blew it up because the, the boys are just rev it. Like, they just rev the guts out of me. <laughs> I remember my, my deputy principal came up to me a couple of days later and he goes, So you got that car started, I hear. I said, Yeah. And he goes, Did you take it for a drive around the school? I said, Yeah, I did. He goes, You know it's 10 kilometers an hour around the school? I said, Yeah. <laughs> he said, But you go going 10? I said, I may have been going 15. <laughs> may plus, plus 30 or 40. Uh, and he goes, yeah. And there was a few boys in the back. I said, yeah. He goes, how many did you have? I said, there's more. There's definitely more than three. And he goes, yeah. Well, did anyone have seatbelts? I said, oh, mate, come on. You're asking questions. You know the answer to. So I, I got in a little bit of yeah. trouble for that one. But yeah. like these, these just had the best time. Like, they just yeah. loved it. And so that sort of stuff was just so fun. Like I absolutely loved working in that school. It was yeah. a really, really cool place. Are they receptive at all to the gospel? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're really good. Um, the, we had an amazing... So the school had a pastor, and his name was Basil, and he was incredible. Yeah. He was so good. Like, he's this... You look at him, he's this long-haired, hippie-looking fella. He'd, he'd sing them songs and stuff. And so every morning we had chapel, and so we, we'd t- tell the gospel story. And I think that some, sometimes you can probably feel like it's getting shoved down their throats mm. a little bit, but at the same time... You know, they all they all know the story. Basil would sing them songs, and they all know the song. Yeah. Um. He had this he had this great rendition of the Lord's Prayer that he would sing. Um. It was like an echo prayer. It's, it's fine. I won't sing it for you, but it's really good. <laughs> I uh-huh. do the echo. <laughs> <laughs> um. But he he do he do the echo, and so they they'd sing a line. He'd sing a line. They'd sing a line, and he'd sing a line. You know, throughout the whole day, you just have kids like walking past you, being like, you know, our father. Like they would just yeah, be singing yeah, yeah. it. Um, and yeah. so like that sort of stuff is just stuck in their memory. Yeah, they, cool. Um, so I think I think yeah, they they are quite receptive of it. As I say, a lot of them on community, there's a lot of a lot of pastors and the Lutheran mm. churches quite involved. So yeah, there are there are a lot of Christians I think out on community, and so a lot of kids, well not a lot of kids, but there were a number of kids that came from christian homes yeah. um a few few of our kids had had parents who were we had that the urara aunties they were called they were the um elder women who were sort of supported the school and you know they'd sing in the choir and things like that and so we had a few kids who were you know their aunties were, were singing in the, in the church's choir yeah. and things like that so they're all just a part of it so yeah I, I think that i think they are quite receptive to the gospel what can christians actively do have you thought about it all? Like the obvious one is that Christians could, you know, go there like you did and spend some time there. But if there are Christians that perhaps don't feel they're in that place to to make a move, what? How could how could Christians support various communities? I think there's a number of number of opportunities. Most of the communities have have churches and, and have pastors. I know the the Lutheran Church has been really really key out there, and the Anglican Church has had a little bit to do out there as well. So most communities you went to had some form of church. You know, it wasn't a church that you necessarily recognised as a church. It's generally just a shed or a, or a little yeah. sort of humpy on the side of the road. But most of them were most of them had churches. So I think even that sort of thing, you know, you can. But if people can financially support churches. People can get in touch with pastors and mm-hmm. say, "What do you, What do you need prayer for?" I think a lot of Christians probably don't don't use prayer mm-hmm. to our advantage. Yeah. I think it's it's one of the most effective spiritual tools we have. So yeah. people maybe even think, "Oh, it's generally not 
you know, what's it, what's it worth? You know, what's it worth me emailing a pastor and say, I can probably just pray for him without emailing him. But I yeah. think, you know, being specific in our prayer and, and yeah, really using that as a spiritual weapon, I think is a really important thing. Mm. So, and I, I know having a chat with a few, few different pastors out there, I, I know that they would just love it to hear that, you know, there's someone out, out in the middle of New South Wales or something saying, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I, I can't come. I I can't. You know, I might not be able to support financially even, but I can. I can pray for you. I can. Yeah. I can be a part of it um, somehow. Yeah. And I think that's even that can can be just such an incredible help and yeah, such an incredible because yeah. it is. It's a lonely, lonely business. Um, being out there, particularly out on community, it's it can be it can be pretty isolating because it is isolated. And even now, you know, during COVID, a lot of those communities are still locked down completely. Yeah. You know, no in, no out, and so. You know, even that's even more isolating for those communities. And some of them, well, a lot of them would have one pastor sort of between maybe four or five of them. And they, you know, they're not communities that are 10Ks away. They're communities that are hundreds of kilometers away from each other. So the pastors would travel around. So I'm not sure what's happening with that. But even that, you know, isolates the communities even further. So I think, yeah, being able to to pray into that and, and, mm. and go into that spiritual warfare even from out here, which seems an age away, I think is is so so helpful and such an encouragement to the mm. to the pastors and the, the people out there that are working with those communities. Yeah, yeah. Majel and I are constantly asking ourselves now, which we probably weren't really before, mm. is where we're constantly checking ourselves and going, Well, what are we doing? You know, we've we're here in Dubbo and we've both got really good jobs and we've got we've got a nice house and we're settled we you know, we're set up well. But what are we doing with that? Mm. You know, are, are we further in the kingdom? Are we mm. talking with people? And um, so I think for us personally, that it's been an amazing year to actually sort of encourage us to look out beyond ourselves and mm. actually just just keep questioning ourselves. You know, I don't think necessarily everyone's called to go and do mission work out in the middle of the bush or out, you know, in a, in mm. a third world nation. But yeah, I think it's just a good thing for everyone to constantly check themselves and go, what am I doing with this? What am mm. I doing with this life? Absolutely. What am I doing with the blessing that's you know god's given us because yeah it ultimately it's it's god's life it's it's his money it's his it's his gifts that he's given us you know i want to make sure that i'm i'm stewarding that well Um, and what does that look like it looks different for everyone but you know i need to make sure that i'm i need to be aware and comfortable that i am doing god's gifts justice and that i'm stewarding them the way that he needs to steward Mm. them regardless of what anyone else thinks someone might think that i'm not doing enough but it just comes down to me and god and i need to be able to go yes god I am, I'm working for you the way that you want me to work at the moment. Mm. Psalm thirty four twenty three is always my, my go to, and you know it says, "Though, though I stumble, I, I will not fall, for the Lord upholds me with His hand." And for me, whose <laughs> whose life is just full of stumbles, like I just I'm constantly tripping over myself yeah. and and you know doing stupid things, and and but I. I yeah, I, I just I love that verse that it, it's so real to me and so so raw. I go, I, yeah, I'm gonna stumble, I'm gonna trip, I'm gonna, yeah. but I, I won't fall if I trust in God and, and know that His hands catching me. And I think for me, it reminds me that you know when you you know when you're walking, you, you do trip, and there's yeah. that moment of terror, like you know, I'm gonna fall <laughs> flat on my face here, and and it's it's this yeah this adrenaline rush where you go, I'm get, I'm about to collapse. Yeah, I, I think for me, I go. You know, the amount of times I'm in that moment in my life, I'm going, I'm going to fall flat on my face and it's it's so terrifying. But to know that God's there and he's actually going to catch me and, that, you know, I, I won't fall because of his hand. Yeah, for me, that's just such an encouragement. And, mm. and it's, it's, as I say, it's the verse I, I go to constantly. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'll stumble, but I'm not going to fall. Yeah.
Thank you for listening to the Little Picture Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Also, check out our Facebook page and like and follow us there. Here at The Little Picture, we are all about hearing the stories of ordinary Christians as they serve an extraordinary God. Until next time, goodbye.